hello, hello, hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall. But for ghosts. Oh, see how gently I said that one, Adam? <laughs> so gently upon my ears. <laughs> Apparently, I um, occasionally shout into the microphone, as listeners may have noticed. Yeah. And listeners don't know as much because I like bring them down so they don't have to like have their ears pierced. <laughs> it's just me. It's yeah. just you. Lucky all you. But uh. you know, soon there there may be the the um, some equipment that will come into our lives. I will not listen to myself speak on this podcast. No, but it will um, automatically bring your voice down when it goes to a certain, Ooh. so it won't kill me. But in order to get that equipment. What do they have to do? We need some money. Uh. <laughs> and you can help us if you'd like, just like our friends Jordan and Rebecca, who are our patrons, by going to the patreon.com, not the Patreon, going to- <laughs> By going to patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and making a donation of any type. And by any type, I mean there's tiers. Right. Um, you can start as $3, as low as 3 yeah. as high as like 15 or 25 Right. If you're feeling a big baller. Um, and you know that money goes literally back to the show. Like, yeah. Investing in some equipment. Yeah. We're getting some new, some new headphones, as you see on my social media. It's so funny. I posted a couple of weeks back, maybe a month ago at this point, the picture of my headphones, and we got our first patron right after I posted that. Mm-hmm. People were like, oh, girl, <laughs> you, you need them to equipment. I'm going to help you out. Um, I think our second patron came after we posted it with, in the arms of the <laughs> angels. So really... Those headphones are doing the Lord's work. I, I mean, that's all they're doing at this point because they're really falling apart on me. <laughs> this is, this is, this is, I had to put some more electrical tape on them because they're starting to, to peel oh, no. off and like attach to my hair. Oh, no. Um, so again, if you're interested in doing all that, you know what to do. Head on over to the Patreon and uh, you can, you can help us out. Um, we've had some, some, some fun new episodes the last few weeks. Yep. Um, got to talk about some witches. Yeah, we did. Got uh, real, real crazy. Christina was real loopy that night. Real loopy that night. I wonder if she'll be equally as loopy this night. Who could tell? Who, Who could tell? tell? Who knows? Uh, and last week, of course, we talked about one of the earliest uh, serial killers in the country's history, let alone in New York history. And um, so I think we should leave leave behind all traces of, of killing and murders mm-hmm. far behind us. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, Christina? Well, today uh, we are going to uh, spend some time on Thanksgiving Day with the uh, Dermond family. Oh, great, great, great. Exactly what we need. It's something wholesome and wonderful. Yeah. No murders. Well, some murder. Oh, no, not a murder. (laughs) I just told them it wouldn't be a murder. It's a murder. It's a murder. I don't know what my voice was. Well, we can't have just a nice, happy Thanksgiving, apparently. No, some, no. Some not on this show. Not on this show. show. Not on this show. It's like Bjork. So, um, first I'll say that uh, it's tragic, what is about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I We make some jokes on this show, you guys, but um, this is tragic. Like this most tragic. things, like, there's nothing There's nothing like happy on our show. Like, it's rare. It's like... um, Champ. Champy, delightful. Champy was was happy. Um, the the patron saint of the New Amsterdam Theater, lovely. Olive, we loved her. Sad when she died. Sad when she died, but we 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 think she's happy well, now. Happy in her afterlife. Yeah, is that it? Is there all a happy ending? I think so. 
I don't. We don't have a lot of happy endings. No. That's not what the point. Doesn't of the make show good is. storytelling. Doesn't. So uh, it's it's pretty damn tragic. Um, and it this was this was this was really fascinating research for yours truly, and I'll tell you why. It's because even though the story makes like all the lists of unsolved murders, um, spoilers the the murders today unsolved. Um, you know, it, it shows up on on blogs and lists and, and even some books reference it. But it's always these bare bones sort of, you know, sentences, maybe a couple of paragraphs. So what I do is I went through all the old newspapers. And you do that a lot. You I do that a lot. Thing. I and, love it. And just in doing that, you also like always like make these grand Freedom of Information like act. Requests. Yes. But I our last Freedom of Information Act. Uh, that was for Isidore Fink. Um, and unfortunately, apparently, um, it, I wouldn't, it was denied, but not denied, denied. It was denied because um, the records apparently are kept or were kept in a building that was deeply destroyed by, I believe it was Hurricane Irene. And as a result, they are not accessible at the present time. Can't we just go get them? Kind of really want to just. Apparently, they're in like Rockaway. I, I assume somewhere, and like just show up. Well, we'll we'll go get. Let's it. go get those. So anyway, but no, no Department of of, of Freedom Freedom Information Act here. Not in this. Not in this episode. Not in this episode. No. Not, not wasting our time there. there. No. No. I was burned once. Fool me once. <laughs> Jokes on me. But the real joy was really like oh, I shouldn't say this was a real joy. It was horrible. Um the 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 thing that was really fun was getting to go through all of these old newspapers and figure out day by day what was being reported in order to get some things that are left off of these lists that are wild. So Well stop being a tease about it and just give us the right. whole rundown. It's a, 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 a couple of days after Thanksgiving, right? Like Black Friday, and <laughs> like the day after Black yeah, Friday. Yeah, actually, yes. Uh, it's the year 1930. Picture it. Picture it. Thanksgiving afterwards, 1930. Where are we? We are uh, a little bit outside of Poughkeepsie. We're in Stanfordville. Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. And Willard Coons, who works at the Borden Company Dairy, is getting a little more than anxious. It's been two times now that James Husted Germond has failed to deliver his milk to the company. The first time was Thanksgiving, which was odd, but, you know, holidays, whatever. Um, and now, you know, it's the day after and still no sign of Husted. And so Willard Coons talks to his boss, who also says that's weird, and sends Willard to the Germond farm to see what's going on. Now, the Germond farm, like I mentioned, is just outside Stanfordville. Uh, so this is about 20 miles or so from Poughkeepsie itself. Willard gets in the car, drives over, gets out, looks around. The barn is filled with cows who are very uncomfortable because they've not been milked for days. And he knows this because he can hear them really bellowing. Um, how, how does that sound? <laughs> Let me try that again. That was my favorite thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm much better at dolphins and, and pigeons if wanna, you want those sounds. I, I want to sell it as like a ringtone. <laughs> can we sell it as a ringtone? I'm gonna see if we sell can it we do it like an NFT? An NFT of me going. <laughs> I can also I could do a great dolphin if we can take a moment just to redeem my my animal making sounds. <clears throat> yeah, take those off, Adam. <laughs> My word. Oh, it's back. It's more. I can also do a, a, a sort of dying pigeon. 
That just sounds like a French pigeon. Coco. Hello. Hello. Coco. I could hear you cool there. Anyway, we're in my cigarette. <laughs> but we're not in France. We're with some Poughkeepsie cows, you sound like. <laughs> what happened to this show? It's it's literally episode 20 and we've lost we've lost all sense we've of control. It. Well, <clears throat> anyway, he hears he hears some cows. And uh, he goes over to the wagon shed and he opens the door. And spots James Husted Germond and his 10-year-old son, Raymond, both dead of multiple stab wounds. Coons doesn't investigate any further. He gets back to his guard, drives to the neighboring farm, which happens to be owned by Husted's brother, Paul. And Willard Coons shouts for them, gives them the bad news. And when asked about Husted's wife and daughter, Coons had to admit that he didn't look any further. But it was otherwise really quiet on the farm. So they split up. Paul Germond, the brother, right? And the father-in-law go to Germond Farm, while Coons goes back to the Borden Company to make the report. Paul and his father-in-law um, arrive at the Germond house. They make a search for Husted's wife, Mabel, and daughter, Bernice, and they find both in the kitchen. Mabel on the floor near the stove, Bernice nearby under the kitchen table, both dead, both stabbed multiple times. Oof. Paul and his father-in-law go to the neighbor closest in proximity to the Dermont farm, which is the poultry farm of Arthur J. Curry, and make a call to the police. Pretty gruesome. But we're going to back up and talk through who these folks are and their last known whereabouts. So the Dermont family, if you haven't picked up by now from my cow sounds, own a dairy and are stalwart members of the Stanfordville community. James Husted Germond, born June 10th, 1884, was known as Husted, two friends. I'm probably saying that wrong. I've never seen this written and said Husted, Husted, Husted. Anyway, Husted, two friends, family and the local community, um, had lived in his dairy farm for the last 11 years. Um, according to his World War I draft card, because I am who I am and had a little too much fun, uh, he was of medium height, slender build with brown hair and blue eyes. His wife, Mabel Gregory, um, uh, they were married on May 10th, 1906. They together had two children, Bernice N. Germond, born in 1912, Raymond, born in 1920. So at the time, Raymond was still in grade school and Bernice was studying at Eastman Business College in Poughkeepsie, which was apparently one of the schools that was the foremost in providing hands-on practical business training, so shorthand penmanship, bookkeeping, typing, filing. The farm was located uh, a few yards from Salt Point Turnpike, which is about half or three quarters of a mile before it joins the Mid-Country Highway. And it was on what has been described as a sweeping bend near the stream that intersects the highway just east of the family home. This is important. Keep this in mind. Um, it's also worth noting that per an early article, uh, the house was situated so that the backyard would be thrown into a bold relief by headlights of cars coming either way on the highway. Right. And yet the murders were not witnessed, even though ostensibly they should have been based on the placement. Mm. On November 26, 1930, so the day before the murders, sometime in the morning, Husted went into town uh, to run some errands. He stopped by Borden Creamery to collect his monthly check, uh, around $150. And then he cashed it, paying $50 to the feed store. And then he went to his brother's, Paul's, right? Um farm was not too far away from Husted's own dairy. He stayed there till about 4 p.m., then headed home. 
Raymond and Mabel weren't seen all day, and so we're assuming they were at home together. Bernice took the bus home from school in Poughkeepsie. It dropped her off not far from her home at about 5.20 p.m. that Wednesday. So it was already beginning to get dark because, you know, November. Yeah. <laughs> like right now. Like literally. right now. Real dark. It's like so dark. Now, this is an interesting fact. The bus operator, a Dennis J. Haggerty, would eventually add several crucial bits of information. But one that I think is particularly disturbing is what Bernice said as she gets off the bus. Evidently, the bus passes within enough proximity to her home that she can see it quite clearly. Again, remembering that placement close to the highway. And Bernice apparently turned around and said to the bus driver, Huh, looks like nobody's home. Mm. House is dark. <clears throat> and that's the last time anyone in the family was seen alive. Jeez. When the bodies are found, we can piece together a little bit of what may have transpired. Based off the physical evidence... Uh, like the fact that Huss had never brought his milk to town in the morning and the cows were not really milked. We can assume that the uh, family members were killed sometime between 4 and 5.20 p.m. per the last sightings um, and 7 p.m. being the latest, right? Because we know this because Bernice's wristwatch broke and stopped at 6.50 p.m. So we assume that's around the time that it happened. One theory goes that based on the way the bodies were found, it's possible Bernice entered the kitchen sees her mother being attacked and is then herself killed as well. Um, and we we know that she was uh, trying to defend herself because there are defensive wounds all over her hands and arms, which is really disturbing to think about. And then the theory goes, Raymond may have heard the shouts, um, sees the murders, and runs to get his father. Husted was probably in the barn milking because the machines were running when the bodies were found. So he probably wouldn't have heard the shouts himself um, until he was alerted. Based on the blood evidence, Raymond and his father were killed between the barn and the house. Again, why didn't anybody see this on the road? Um, the idea is that perhaps they were running back to try to help the family when they are taken down by the murderer. And then their bodies were dragged back to the barn where they're found. So the bodies are discovered. The police are called, right? We're back to the day of the discovery, the day after Thanksgiving. And before we get further into physical evidence, it's important to flag the condition of the crime scene. So. Tell us. In 1990, Herman Soloway, a former Poughkeepsie police detective who was called to assist with the murder, described the scene in this way. Quote. 1990? Yeah. Like. It still haunts the area. Like 60 years later? 60 years later. I don't know how old he would be. I guess he was young at the time. You know, so he would be, Jeez. I guess, in his 80s or 90s. Um, he says, I was a city detective at the time, and I was called out there to look for evidence. By the time I got there, the state police and the sheriff's deputies were all over the place getting everything mixed up, and it was impossible to get any evidence. There were so many officers there, I just dropped out. Then another person said, it was tough because few of the deputies had the time, at the time had the experience dealing with homicides. I mean, again, this is a really small town, right? Yeah. Um, so other issues. One account suggests that a bloody dollar bill was accidentally used to pay for something while investigating leads in New York City. Uh, furthermore, thousands of people apparently descended onto the area to help search the woods for the murderer and the evidence. And several locals went hunting for the perpetrator with their guns and others just went to gawk. And so per a 2005 recap of the situation quote thousands of people visited the farm and rummaged to the property in the days after the bodies were discovered there were even reports that suggested some people took souvenirs 
from the house <laughs> and ate bits of the Thanksgiving meal that was still sitting out. You guys, you 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 can't go to a legit crime scene and like, be like hey, what's this? We're just going to eat, eat that. The food of the people who were murdered. Yeah. I don't even know how to process that information. How do you it's wild. folks, how do you process that? People went to a crime scene, a murder site, and ate the murdered people's Thanksgiving meal. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Insane. Um, so right off the bat, we, uh, we've we got some, uh, shall we say, uh, evidence contamination. Yeah. Not, I mean, like, not, not great. Not great, Bob. Yeah. It kind of throws everything out the window once the evidence is no longer sterile at any, like any type of sterilization. Yeah. It is like tampered galore. Be- Cannot pr- even pretend. Yeah. yeah. Once you once those people enter the realm of it all, marching thousands of people, as you say, like descending upon it, like everything is. And then once you start touching shit and taking mm-hmm. shit and eating it and eating shit, God, yeah, shit. So that's that's what we're dealing with here. It's worth noting that on the first day of investigation, the murder weapon does not make itself known. Um, but the sheriff Bernard Rockefeller does identify hoofprints of a horse. So he believed that maybe the mode of transportation. You may or may not know this, but is that Rockefeller at all connects to the, the famed Rockefeller? Not family? to my knowledge. I don't believe so. <laughs> what an interesting... Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> like, what a very interesting little... Uh, but there will be a, a special guest appearance of someone pretty famous all later. Right, can't wait. Can't wait. Um, other things found at the scene. So Bernice's shorthand homework was on the kitchen table. Others suggested it was Raymond's homework, but apparently it was shorthand, so it must be Bernice. Husted's pockets were turned inside out, and the remaining $100 from that $150 paycheck, not on him or in the house. So some folks were like, gotta be a robbery. There were apparently a pair of brown cotton gloves, bloodstained and cut by a knife, that were found on the kitchen table. And these are assumed to be the killers. But there are no fingerprints. The next day, November 29th, the murder weapon is located. The New York Times that day writes, quote, a brand new kitchen knife with red stains on its seven inch blade and white wood handle found this afternoon at the back of the house gave the police today their first tangible clue to the murders. The knife had apparently been bought expressly for the crime. It had not been used before and on the haft was marked in pencil a code number and the purchase price, 45 cents. The police hoped to get fingerprints from it but the surface of the wood was so rough that they could not be certain whether the prints would be clean. Spoiler, they don't get any prints. Mm. The same day's edition of uh, the Democrat and Chronicle adds, the knife found today lay in a field only a few yards from the Dermond kitchen, but on the property of a neighbor. It was not part of the kitchen equipment of the Dermond, of Dermond or any of his neighbors, authorities said. Its newness was obvious, and they assumed it had been purchased and put to a particular and gruesome purpose. Which murder? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that, guy. Particular gruesome purpose. Crack reporting right there. You know, murder. Apparently, this particular kind of knife is typical for killing and butchering pigs, which Oof. is real disturbing. Um, which is why it was so bloody. Right. And that day, a certain Lawrence Gasparo, a chauffeur in the area, was apparently arrested for possession of a pistol. They believed at the time it might have been one that was missing from. Um, the Germont home, but turns out he'd had it for years. So a lot of red herrings that happened in this case right after, but they reported like, this is it, guys. We found him. We got him. So much for the knife. No prints. There we are. Um, it is worth noting that it was able to be traced to its point of origin at the du- 
Dubois, Dubois, I don't know how they say it, hardware store, uh, where Byron Hicks, the salesman who sold it, um, agreed to sort of go around the area, talk to all the people that, you know, were in at home who had bought, you know, uh, knives, see if I recognized anyone, no luck. The next day, after Knife Discovery Day, December 1st, we get a new report from the New York Times. Ready for our, our fancy appearance? Oh, yeah, let's do it. The Times reports that Governor Franklin D. Roosevelt, yes, that Roosevelt, the same Roosevelt who had run for president to become FDR and give us the New Deal, which was a massive and impressive government program, the likes of which I'd never seen before, but probably could have gone further that we probably need a repeat of today for, you know, green. Anyway, <clears throat> he was at the time a governor of New York. And so Governor Roosevelt demands a progress report on the murder because Dutchess County is his home and the killings took place less than 20 miles from where he lived. Jeez. Um, so that's the first instance of him coming in and like really ramping up the sort of like, oh, got got solved this one, guys. The same article also notes this. Finding of the murder weapon, a butcher knife in the killing of pigs, was followed by another clue, indicating that the murderer rode all the way from Poughkeepsie to the scene of the crime on the same bus as did Bernice on her homeward trip a few minutes before the murderer wiped out the family. Oh, geez. And they think this because they- Oh my God, on the same bus. Can you imagine being on the bus of your murderer? Yeah. Apparently the handwriting of the note they found was shaky and jumpy, like if you were writing it in transit. Um, And here's what it said. Don't you remember me? Could I come over and sit by you? Would you care? No. I hate it. No. We do a handful of murder notes- Mm-hmm. on this pod and they're never good they're never good i hate this one hate it hate it um and it's funny too because i find that so compelling as like a detail and it's never mentioned unless you go through all these wonderful newspaper articles um other clues emerge december 7th 1930 uh husted's empty pocketbook was found in a culvert near the germond home um so near the farm of his brother paul's but i've saved the most dramatic evidence for last I think. Around December 10th, an incredible note was sent to the district attorney's office. The outside of the envelope was addressed to Chief Sheedy. It's typewritten. It was mailed in New York City. And within this envelope is another envelope with a letter. This second envelope is postmarked New York City, November 26th, 11 p.m. It was mailed in New York City the day the bodies were discovered. And this envelope had a name and address that were not released to the public for, you know, obvious reasons. On this letter, in red ink, was a different bit of handwriting that read, wrong address and opened by mistake. So the idea is that someone got this letter, opened it, realized it was to the wrong person. Not mine. Read what was inside, was like, oh shit. Oh, this is not mine. Put it back in and sent it off to That's the chief of police in Poughkeepsie. That's not mine. And so Adam. Am I gonna read something? Yeah, you're gonna read something. I do love when I get to read on the pod. So, uh, from where to where? From where it says, Dear Bob. To the end? Mm-hmm. Dear Bob, better stay where you are at present since they are making all kinds of searches and discovering quote-unquote new clues every day. You never can tell if someone will remember seeing you and then you will be in stir again. No one has yet struck on the real motive for the act. Of course... You'll have to wait quite a while to put in a bid when the property goes on sale. Strange that he never wanted to sell the farm even though we offered him such a good price. Do not feel sorry for Mabel or Husted. 
he never could get enough money and often got in very desperate ways. Mabel was heartless in a similar matter and would try to cheat everyone that ever worked for her. Of course, the children should have been spared at all costs. They were not responsible for the acts or behavior of their parents. I, I believe they woke up, horrified, and tried to scream and therefore were dispatched. Could not get in touch with Dopey, as he is yet in hiding, and therefore can't quote details. I do feel very sorry for what happened to the kids. When you come to town, I want you to meet the big gun in this event, a former dope racketeer who had to quit the game because the government put the bid on that racket. That's why he wanted that property, to make a nice roadhouse and sell liquor. Get me? Damn nice fellow. He's a, a druggist and can make knockout drops in case you ever need them. He is now running a beauty parlor in the blank hotel in Brooklyn. Uh, the information is removed. Just as a blind. Blank blank is his name. And let me tell you, he is in very strong with the cops here and never squealed on the pal yet. Meet me at the old reliable and we will then go and see him. Lammer. Thank you, Adam. Where did that appear? This this uh, was published in the Poughkeepsie Eagle News. And where did they get this letter from? This is the one that was inside the uh, the one that was sent to the. So oh, that, the accidental. The, yeah, the, this is the accidental. Like someone opened it up, was like, "Whoa, that's weird. That that's not good," and sent it off to like. Why did they 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 not publish the hotel or the name of the person? I think it's sort of the thing that that is often happens in investigations where you're like. I'm going to hold this information back. So one, they don't know that we're coming for them. Or two, like we can sort of use those details to see if you know. Some, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what's happening. Um, at first, people thought that this was a crank letter, right? Someone made it up. There was no original intended recipient, just wanted to, you know, whatever, be crazy and throw people off. But the more police reflected on it, the more they thought that they should take it seriously. So for example, the paragraph says that there are new clues every day but the postmark indicates that it was sent the day the bodies were discovered but the counter argument goes for the murderer it was more than one day between the commission of the crime and the discovery so they might assume the bodies were found on thanksgiving right Mm -hmm. even though they were found the day after and so per the article this is quote strengthened by the fact that there were no evening papers published in New York City Thanksgiving Day and reading early papers for Friday the author assumed the discovery had been made the previous day. The other discrepancy was a suggestion that Germond owned the farm and could thus be the one approached to sell it. So Germond actually um, leased it from Lieutenant Thomas Whalen, but because the Germonds had lived on the farm for 11 years many were actually under the impression that the Germans owned the farm. And Germont himself may not have wanted to direct potential buyers to the actual owner because then what if it goes on sale and then he's evicted and all those. And the final indication that this letter wasn't a crank was the fact that it said, do not feel sorry for Mabel or Husted. Husted. So the author probably knows that James Husted Germont was locally known to everyone as Husted. Not James, not Jim. Mm. So that indicates some degree of familiarity with the situation. And now we're going to turn to some theories. But first, Adam. What? Let's take a break. Certainly. We'll be back in just a few moments from our sponsors. 
So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries. But how would you like to solve your very own mystery? Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery. Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer. So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NYMYSTERYMACHINE for 20% off the first box. That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NYMYSTERYMACHINE. Sign up now and begin the hunt. Bow, bow, bow. And we're back. We are in the midst of what a crazy case has been. We just crazy. we just found out that a letter was accidentally sent to somebody. Can you yep. imagine getting, getting this letter that basically is an entire like murder confession? Right. Um and and yeah, and now we're trying to figure out what happened on this fateful Thanksgiving yeah. night. Yeah. Uh I've got some news for you. Uh seems like everyone possible was theorized as having done it. Oh, great. <laughs> that narrows so, uh, it down. Just real, real narrow here. So one theory is the idea that the perpetrator was a spurned lover of Bernice. And that's partially because of the weird note that was found, right? And partially because of some other reports. So one such report appears in the Daily News on November 30th, 1930. And it says that there were two young men, students, who were being sought because it was learned that the police had broken up the petting rendezvous. Um, of a girl in a red town near the German farmhouse in Stanfordville, New York, the previous Wednesday night. So apparently, um, a policeman approached a, a vehicle, saw two girls and two guys in a car, and the girl was struggling and said, I was only flirting. And he finally like threw the door open and like she ran off. And they brought the guys in and I think they fined them and that was it. Um but the idea is that perhaps one of those was Bernice and whoever. Um, the coroner, Paul Roberts, and this is, this is, this says something about the time. The coroner, Paul Roberts, apparently said that Bernice had the, quote, reputation of being somewhat of a vamp, unquote, uh, which he said was demonstrated in letters that she wrote to friends in nearby towns and to her cousin, the article adds that the authorities at the time, um, as a result, thought that Bernice was the target of the attack. And they were thinking that perhaps uh, a road laborer was the potential attacker. And this was something because um, of something another individual said. So Arthur J. Curry, poultry farmer, you'll remember him as the one whose phone was used to call the police when the bodies were first discovered. Um, he also apparently is the town barber. Um, and... He apparently reported that when cutting Bernice's hair a few days prior, he had, quote, chided her about her boyfriends. And the girl responded that she was going to Eastman now and had a boyfriend there she hoped to land. So that's one avenue. Um, other reports, and here we get into some fun xenophobia. Uh, other reports were of mysterious foreigners. Um, so the police were looking for someone who insulted Miss Dermond about five or six weeks prior and who lost his job because of Bernice's complaint. And allegedly, he said that he would come back to have revenge. Another report suggests that um, the creamery manager in Poughkeepsie, Edward Wing, was stopped by a, quote, swart, squat 
young man, unquote, when Wing was headed to Stanfordville, or from Stanfordville, rather, at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. The man, he said, had an accent and said he needed to get to Poughkeepsie to take a train to Hudson, where his mother was close to death. Um, It's worth noticing that a separate report had Wing describing the man as a tall and powerful foreigner who wanted to get to Poughkeepsie. So was he squat? Was he tall? It's Very different descriptions. Very different. Um, This feels like Son of Sam all over again. Yeah. (laughs) Like, did he have blonde hair? Yes. But I thought he had brown hair. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, and it was he tall. Yes, uh-huh. yes, yes. But also short. <laughs> um, and also a woman. <laughs> there's a wonderful X Files uh, quote uh, that is basically similar to the situation of just how ridiculous some of these very general descriptions are. I can play it now. Okay. All I know is that so far, Yappy has provided more solid, concrete leads on this case than you have. Now, if you don't mind, I have to get an APB out on a white male, 17 to 34, with or without a beard, maybe a tattoo, who's impotent. Let's go. Might as well go home, Walter. This case is as good as sold. That's accurate. That checks out. There you go. Um, apparently, anyway, this this particular individual, whether he was squat or tall who knows um squat is the also the weirdest way of of short he's squat squat he's a squat young man it's mean uh apparently he gets on a 957 train for beacon and who beacon new york i love beacon new york yeah it's lovely the home of murderers no um could be could Could be. be uh apparently the train conductor was able to provide a description and said that the man had babbled to himself, insulted train passengers, and though there was no odor of liquor about him, he did stagger off the train at Beacon. Other theories forwarded. Coroner John A. Card believed the murder was committed by, quote, a sadist or religious maniac, unquote. How or why he came to this conclusion? Unclear. Perhaps it had to do with four hunters who had trespassed on the Germond farm last month and whom Germond brought to town where they were fined for trespassing. And again, according to rumor, the hunters swore to come back for reprisal. Eventually, a couple of, quote, foreigners, unquote, are indeed brought in. So Aristides Morlot, 26, of 104 West 89th Street in New York, was one of three suspects brought up to Poughkeepsie. Aristides uh, apparently was fined for disorderly conduct on Thanksgiving morning. Then there was Florentino Astorna, also known as Florentino Chase, also known as Bosco, also known as Florentino Iceburu Ermendi, a Brooklyn laborer who lived at 90 Baltic Street. Nope. I have Bosco Street. in my family, my family line. Did he murder the Germans? I hope not. <laughs> I do have a Bosco in my family line. Was he a laborer at 90 I don't Baltic know. Street? Well, we're going to do a little ancestry later, Adam. I don't know. Uh, he was described as a Spanish workman who was discharged from a road camp near the Germont home after he insulted Bernice. So this is probably the one who was mentioned earlier. Um, and apparently several people positively identified him as the person who had um, hired the car going towards Poughkeepsie. Um, at the time of the arrest, around the 15th of December, he was wearing a leather jacket with stains that looked like blood. But he insisted that they were wine stains and that he'd been home the entire day of the murders and could prove as much. You also just can prove that you have wine on your coat and not blood. That's easier to do. That that is easier to do. I'm sure. It's literally easier to be like, well, let's just see what the stain is. Oh, that's wine. That's wine. Oh no, that's blood. You know, it's very easy. Could just send the lick test and go. Mm, that tastes like wine. Mm. <laughs> yes, you can. You can do the lick test where you lick the 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 stain of a substance on your coat and 
pray to God it's wine and not blood. Aramendi would eventually admit to knowing Bernice and her brother, but he wasn't charged. And after being held for 55 days, he was officially cleared of any implication. So then suddenly we're in 1932 when a 16-year-old comes and, and swears that uh, he, he had witnessed the murders and that he had uh, he named the exact person. But then it turns out that he was just frightened because someone had interrogated him and they said, we're going to give you electric chair if you don't tell us. And so he was like, yeah, sure, this guy. Hmm. Um, eventually, Governor Roosevelt gets involved again at the request of citizens. Uh, apparently the town felt that not enough was being done to solve this. And some accused Roosevelt of using this as a publicity stunt for his presidential campaign. So 1932 is an election year. He would be president in 1933. Regardless, by February 1933, investigators announced that they were close to solving it. According to the New York Times, March 10th, Arthur J. Curry, you'll remember that name, poultry farmer, roadhouse operator, and also the barber, Mm. was charged with the murders. So the article goes on to say that Curry was arrested on the information of Sheriff Oakley T. Cookingham after investigation with the aid of the Pinkerton Detective Agency um, and members of the Homicide Squad of Brooklyn, as well as the Attorney General's Office in Albany. So everybody's got their mind on this. And apparently the information was supported by affidavits from several people in Stanfordville, including Mary Orpha Curry, his wife. According to the affidavits... Curry had told his wife, Mary Orpha, that on the afternoon of the murders, he was going to go to the German farm to get $30 that Husted owed him. And he later told her, two days later, that he had visited German's farm late on the day of the evenings, but that he then made efforts after this to establish an alibi. Um, so the article goes on, gives us some more information. Apparently, Curry is a Canadian native, but has been active in the civic affairs of Stanfordville for years. His home was a meeting place for hunters and the scene of many impromptu meetings of the citizens of the county. Um, he and his wife had previously lived in New York City. And then it says this. Curry had been an active figure in the Germond murder investigation undertaken at the time of the discovery of the bodies. Mrs. Curry says this. Essentially, he says he's going to go get uh, his money from Jim Germond. Um, He's going to arrive back home that night. And when he comes in, there is already someone else at the house, right? Remember, he's a local barber. So essentially, some neighbor comes in, wants his haircut. Curry's not there. He eventually comes in on the late side. And some days later, tries to be like, no, 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 I was totally there. I was totally there the entire time. And at first... Uh, Mary Orpha Curry goes along with this and she eventually says that it's because she was afraid. She was she was afraid of of revealing that no, he he had left the house that day for sure and that he explicitly said he was going to the Germans. Um, and then uh, on March 17th, 1933, Curry enters a plea of not guilty and the charges were quickly dismissed thereafter uh, because apparently Supreme Justice Bleakley said that um, there is, quote, too much suspicion and too little evidence to proceed. Uh, So essentially, they had all this hearsay and affidavits from Mary Orpha, a couple other people, but nothing that would, you know, really tie him physically in any clear way. After that, the newspaper articles quiet down. In 1957, the Daily News revisits the case, notes that the case is still technically open and that there was still a $20,000 reward for identifying the murderer. 
1975, Poughkeepsie Journal notes that one theory had been Paul Germond, again, the brother of Husted, was the person actually intended for murder by the killer because he lived nearby, had a wife, two children, a boy and a girl around the same age as Bremond and Bernice. But that's it. That's where the trail ends. An, an arrest and then a, a writ of habeas corpus saying, you don't got enough on this. Jeez. Ooh. What do you think happened? I don't, I, I honestly do not know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think the that letter is super damning mm-hmm. if it's real. Um, which I again like. I think that like we had said earlier. I I don't know how it's not real. It's very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I think that I think the letter is interesting. I, it seems to indicate that there are a few people involved. Yeah, yeah. It seems like there's. He had that weird nickname for that person too. Yeah, I what it was. And so you know, there's all of these different people floating around who apparently the hunter, the laborers, who are threatening to come back and get their revenge, right? So, and apparently Curry's house was it always, often the like meeting place. It always comes down to motive, right? Every time we do these on un, these unsolved murders, we've done a handful of, on the show already, and it, it always we always at the end of the show, it's it's so cool. I love I love the the brand that always comes with this kind of episode. It's yeah. always like we do the whole episode and then we spend the next like five, ten minutes being like, what do you think happened? Yeah. And um, sometimes we have crazy things like, you know, crazy Theodosia. Right. And sometimes we're just like, I don't know, but in the end, what's the motive, right? What's right. the what's the motive for murder? I mean, I want to say that, you know, however much money Husted owed Arthur Curry wouldn't Is have that, been yeah. enough. I mean, that, that, that's my big thing. I was like, but it's 1930. The stock market just crashed the year before. Yeah, that's real. Um, I think... One of the things that interests me most is that horrifying statement, looks like nobody's home, the house is dark, that Bernice makes when she gets off the bus. Yeah. And that makes me think, and it, it's something that's come up in a couple of theories, is that what was the murderer waiting inside? Had he already done everything and is now just waiting for her? For her. Oh, my God. But then also, why... Why... Was it, was it, was kill it, everyone? And isn't there, like... Wasn't there one theory that the murderer was on the bus with her? Right. Right. So did I would love to know from the bus driver. people? In which case, what is the, to your point about motive, what is the motive for, say it's Arthur J. Curry. He wants his money or something. But you kill the entire family? You kill the entire family? Or maybe you hire someone to kill, but and they go crazy and instead maybe, of just killing yeah, Husted, maybe, they maybe kill the whole, everybody? Maybe the whole thing goes awry, like there's struggle. Right. You said there's struggle. There's struggle. We, so it's yeah. like, oh, you can't kill our dad. You know, you can't kill my husband. And then, you know, it's... But they do seem to think that based on the placement of where they think Husted and Raymond were killed, so on the way to the house, that they were probably coming to rescue the women folk from whatever screams they're hearing. Yeah, yeah. Which makes me which makes it seem that they would have been the first, right? That Mabel and Bernice are the first to get attacked, which means did they did the murderer walk in and expect Husted to be there and not the women and then we're like, Whoop, guess I gotta kill you. Yeah, I mean yeah. Wouldn't you I don't know, wouldn't it be easier to be like, Oh, sorry, Husted is he out in the barn? He's out the barn, right? But I guess you've been seen then, so you gotta just if you're die. seen, you, everyone has to die. I mean, that's kind of the rules of murder, right? right. It's like, it's always like, we won't say anything, but you're, you're going to die. Cause right. Just, it's loose ends. Yeah, it's still unsolved to this day. Um, in the course of searching for anything on the internet outside of these newspaper articles, um, 
there was a, a Reddit thread where someone was like, hey, I came across this. My great uncle and his family were killed. Anybody know anything? Um, so, oh, wow. Yeah, which was sort of trippy to see. It's trippy to be like, hey, I found out my great uncle was killed. Yeah. Um, just send them this episode. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, send them this episode. Be like, hey, we just did an episode of your great uncle. No, no, uh, n- no, no theories, really. No theories and leads, but you know, in case you wanted more information, we have some. That'd yeah. be nice. What a nice gesture that would be. Do that, Christina, or don't. I don't know. I don't know your life for your choices. <laughs> but that'd be nice. I don't know if, my, if I found out my great uncle's killed who I never knew, and there were some folks who did some research on it. Yeah, I'd maybe want to know. Yeah, I could definitely send like articles and be like, "Hey, I've, I found all these things because I've got an ancestry account burning a hole in my pocket." And we just did an episode on. We just did an episode. Uncle. So that may be something. It's really tragic. It's really awful. I think also just the idea of Thanksgiving <sighs> happening on Thanksgiving. Their food was like the pies were like made and waiting to be eaten type thing. Like yeah, oh. people ate the people came in and ate Isn't their that, food. What is that? Some, Why would you want to? Yeah. There's so much there. There's so much to unload there. So much unpacking to do. It's like you go into these people's homes who are murdered and just eat their food. I think I'm gonna put my money on Arthur Curry hired someone who also had a vendetta maybe it happens to be bernice's burned lover maybe it happens to be some the hunters who were turned away and then things go wrong yeah i i think if there's any theory that works things go wrong is the biggest and that connects that letter too right it's a shame about the kids they didn't want the kids to die so like that's i also think it seems like if you if we're taking that letter as as evidence of something that could have really have happened, you know, basically it says that it's supposed to be him who dies mm-hmm. and the wife gets it because she was also pretty rude mm-hmm. and the kids shouldn't have, right. shouldn't have died. So I get kind of like scaffolds why each was murdered. Right. Like husband, we know why. Wife, yeah, probably not, but we did because... Because why not? Because why not? She deserved it, quote unquote. Yeah. And then the kids were just accessories to it all. Right. Um... Yeah, and then there's the uh, I not to go with another crazy hot take here, but the, hot take. But the, we, we, I'm gonna create a sting for the for the hot Christina's hot take. <laughs> Christina's hot take. Christina's, it's hot take time. The hot take this week is that who else? How many people were on the bus? Did anyone get else get off the bus near Bernice? Because that seems like an easy thing to find out from the bus driver if we're thinking that someone followed her with this note, right? Yeah. Um, we, slash, we should give him a call. Slash, <laughs> slash, how do we know it wasn't the bus driver? Boom, boom, boom. I also briefly considered whether it could be Paul Germond. I was thinking that. I was like, why? We can't send this to his descendant. <laughs> oh, God. We don't <laughs> think it's Paul Germond, but wink <laughs> it could be we don't know yeah we don't know we don't know we don't know we're um not, we're not gonna send it to your descent <laughs> we're sorry you're accusing your grandma of coming sorry family. i don't think it's pulled your mind i do think it's interesting the idea that maybe he was the intended target which would make me think it's not arthur curry and we have no idea who it is because no one's published anything about who would want paul german dead yeah there it is well, have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> it's like, Bye. So, sorry, this is our Thanksgiving episode. But, um, you know, you get a Thanksgiving episode for the New York Mystery Machine. You're not getting your mama's Thanksgiving episode. You're not getting <laughs> this, that. This is your, your mom's Thanksgiving. It's not. 
but that yeah i mean that's your that's your uh your your thanksgiving episode full of murder <laughs> so when you eat your thanksgiving meals this this holiday season um just be appreciative that the fact that um some people were murdered before they can eat theirs the more you know it's beautiful if you'd like to follow us on the social medias, sorry. Um, if you'd like to follow us on the social medias, you know how to do that. You head on over to NY Mystery Machine um, on Instagram and on Facebook and at NY Mysteries on Twitter. On Twitter. Um, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review. Last week, last week, a couple weeks ago, we, we released our uh, November Reviewer of the Month. Um, you could be our December Reviewer of the Month. All you got to do is head on over to iTunes slash Apple Podcast, leave a five-star review, tell us what you like about the show, and we'll put you into the, the raffle for um, some free uh, Mystery Machine swag. Um, um, Patreon's up. We got some patrons. We thanked them. We thanked Rebecca. We thanked Jordan. We'll always thank you. Thank you. If you, if you join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month, um, some cool stuff is starting, starting uh, to develop. So um, we, you know, once we have the the people who want it, we're gonna give it. Mini episodes coming out. I have a mini episode in the bank. Oh man, ready to 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 be recorded. I know what mine is too. So we have two mini episodes, but we cannot give you those mini episodes. Mm-mm-mm-mm. You have to you have to earn them by giving us your money. That's how you do it. It's capitalism. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving from our family to, to yours. And do us a favor, and this Thanksgiving, don't get murdered. I've been Adam Mace. I've been Christina Marinelli. And this has been the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for the ghosts. Gobble, 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 gobble. gobble.